Hello and greetings. Welcome. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters and for the gift of spending time with us together as we continue to explore what God has made known in Christ through Scripture. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in Los Angeles. And we hope that you are doing well and are very appreciative of your presence. Today we'd like to wonder what can we know about the Ethiopian eunuch and what can we gain from his example. And we learn about him in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, the, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, to understand what's going on here, we need to first understand what's kind of gone on a little bit beforehand. The gospel was about to go forth from Jerusalem here. We see that in Acts 2, it started being preached in Jerusalem. In Acts 3 through 7, we see this history of the church there in Jerusalem when it was just in Jerusalem. Uh, and at the end of that passage, in Acts 6 and 7, we learn about Stephen and his witness before the Sanhedrin. And we're told at the beginning of chapter 8 that there was a great persecution that arose after Stephen and it scattered Christians throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so they were going about preaching the word, we're told, in verse 4. So despite the persecution, despite what would seem to be this really bad thing that would cause great distress and difficulty, and certainly did cause many people great distress and difficulty, it became the catalyst for the gospel going well beyond the confines of Jerusalem. And in chapter 8, Luke records what Philip is doing. Philip, we first meet in Acts chapter 6. He was the second man listed as helping uh, the Hellenistic widows make sure they had what they needed in the daily distribution right after uh, Stephen. And so since Stephen has been killed, now Philip takes on the most prominent role. And we first see him going to Samaria, to the north, in verses... Um, 4 through 25, and we learn about how uh, he did many wonderful acts and signs there, and Simon the sorcerer and his conversion and his desire to buy the ability to give the Holy Spirit from Peter and John, and how that turned out for him, which uh, it didn't go very well. And it's from there that the angel Lord tells Philip to go toward this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, which, we look at the map, is not anywhere near Samaria. Samaria is far to the north of this, 
And so we see there's a very deliberate work going on here. And this is where he meets the eunuch. Now, the eunuch, the term eunuch is a term that is normally used for a person who um, has uh, been castrated or who uh, does not have functioning uh, male genitals. Um, this was a prominent feature in a lot of uh, royal courts that they would have men made eunuchs to serve in the harem and serve in, as court officials because without the appropriate genitals, they were no longer a threat to uh, cause any difficulty with the women or anybody at court. Uh, it is possible that by this time, it is just kind of the, a term for a royal official, and so we can't necessarily be certain if the eunuch was truly a eunuch, although that's certainly a, a completely a viable uh, way of looking at the situation. And uh, the other thing is that he's called the Ethiopian eunuch because that's the term that is used in Greek. But the Greek term for Ethiopia uh, the, is a term that is used more broadly than the way we use it today. Today we think of Ethiopia, we think of the country of Ethiopia, uh, but in the ancient world, uh, ancient Greece, and most likely here when they talk about Ethiopia, they're really talking about the Kushites, uh, which is to the north of modern-day Ethiopia. And in fact, Candace is the Kandake. Uh, a, one of a series of queens who ruled over the Kushites in the first century from their capital in Meroe. And so he is um, the treasurer, so he is a man of great uh, authority in the kingdom, a man of great responsibility, a, great, a man with great uh, trust put in him. And he is the first dignitary recorded in Acts as being receptive to the gospel. There will be others later, but he is the first one. Uh, he's a humble man, willing to, you know, heed and listen and things of that nature. He has come to Jerusalem to worship. And that's uh, quite the journey, because Meroe and Cush uh, to Jerusalem is about 1,500 miles. He might have also been on some kind of official business. Uh, but it's a very strong uh, demonstration of faith that he would travel that kind uh, of distance. Uh, now, who is this eunuch? Uh, it's, many assume he is some kind of Gentile because he is a Cushite, uh, but there's a couple challenges with that. First of all, uh, we see that there is much that's going to surround the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 with the hand and work of Peter uh, in, in that work, and we haven't seen anyone else yet thus converted, and he's going to Jerusalem to worship. It would be very strange for... Uh, a Cushite Gentile on his own to go and want to go 1,500 miles to worship at the temple there of God. Uh, it is He could be a proselyte, certainly possible, but it's also uh, very likely he's just a member of the isolated Jewish community there. Um, and there are some very important historical reasons why we can think that he is part of the diaspora, even if he's really far away. Because uh, the Kush, we talked about Kush, the Kushite Empire, it's in modern-day Sudan. It would extend from the border of Roman Egypt, which kind of varied at times between the first and second cataracts of the Nile River, uh, down to where the White and Blue Nile rivers come together uh, in modern-day Sudan. Uh, and it's interesting that the Kushite Empire is the last legacy empire, so to speak, that continues to exist in the days of the Romans. Uh, the Kushite Empire had existed back in the days of the prophets. Uh, it was um, 
spoken of by Isaiah and um, in, in Isaiah chapter 18. Uh, in Isaiah 37, we read that the Cushites had conquered Egypt and had sent an army against the Assyrians to relieve uh, Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah. In Jeremiah 38, 7-13, we read about Ebed-Melech, who was an Ethiopian eunuch uh, uh, in Jeremiah's day. And he was serving in the court of Zedekiah, and he helped release Jeremiah from prison there. So the Cushites are very much a part of the ancient Near Eastern world. Their horses were very much uh, favored, and you would have found Cushites in a lot of mercenary armies in the major empires of the day. And so, since we know that there were many Jewish uh, exiles after the destruction of Jerusalem in Egypt, in Jeremiah 43, and we know that there were even some Israelite, northern kingdom, uh, and southern kingdom uh, mercenaries who were living in Elephantini, which is the southern border of Egypt at the time, right north of the Cushites, uh, by the Persian period, and the fact that you have very strong connections between the land of Cush and Judah, it's not unlikely that there would have been a Jewish community in Cush uh, between 586 and would have lasted until the days of Jesus. And so we don't need to speculate and think that he is some kind of necessarily a pagan. We can understand that he is Jewish to some degree. Uh, it again, possible he's a proselyte, also could be a member of Diaspora uh, who happens to live down in Cush and has achieved a very high level of standing. Uh, we know for certain that he is um, dedicated to the God of Israel. We're going to see that he is an acute reader of Scripture and is a reader of Scripture. And that's pretty impressive. And so that's what we have to keep in mind as we consider what we learn about the Ethiopian eunuch. We're told that as the chariot is going, uh, he is uh, reading in Isaiah. And this comes a little bit late. Uh, he is reading. Uh, we're going to find it's Isaiah later on. Uh, reading is a really hard thing to do in the in the ancient world in general. Uh, we have come familiar with silent reading, where we are just looking at words on a page. And even with our modern technology, uh, a lot of people find it very difficult to do that while moving. Uh, in a chariot didn't have a really great suspension system and shocks and things, you would have felt maybe a lot of shaking and going on. And reading at that time was an oral thing. The letter, especially with a Hebrew or Aramaic, uh, even Greek, a Hebrew and Aramaic, you'd have to read in order to understand the vowel sounds and to make sense of it. And Greek, even though the vowels were written, uh, most Greek texts of the time were written in all capital letters and in columns. And if you got through and you're halfway through a word in the middle of a column, you would just start up uh, in the next column with the other half of that word. And so the only way you can make sense of it is if you read it out loud. Um, so he's reading it, whatever it is, in, in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. The fact that he's reading in the scriptures does again indicate there's some serious grounding in the faith here. Uh, this is not some average pagan. And uh, it's not an easy endeavor at all. And so Philip is told by the Spirit to join the chariot, which again, when the chariot is moving, especially if it is a road, chariot could be moving at a decent clip compared to somebody walking, but uh, Philip does it. And so he's hearing uh, the eunuch reading in Isaiah. And um, he asks the eunuch, do you understand what you are reading? And it, it's a good question. And uh, do we understand what we read? And the eunuch's response might come as a shock to a lot of people. 
uh, which is, how can I unless someone guides me? And again, it's a very interesting way of doing this. First of all, I mean, why would the eunuch talk to Philip? I mean, he has no idea who Philip is. He has no inkling that he's come from somewhere. Uh, I, we doubt there's some kind of supernatural sign that's that's come with him. He just, you know, there's a random guy as you're going down the road. And I say, hey, you know what you're, don't you know what you're reading? And so the eunuch has this very humble heart. How can I unless someone guides me? Uh, most of us, if we're sitting and reading something and somebody asks, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, we're going to be kind of weirded out and likely, yeah, yeah, thanks. Have a nice day. You know, especially if it's religious literature. Because if we... Yeah, we're, we're giving somebody an opportunity, and boy, uh, we, we're, we'll get an earful, won't we, uh, from somebody uh, if, if we ask them what they think about the passage, right? Uh, but the eunuch has a very noble spirit, and he asks and is willing to ask that question there, you know, uh, how can I unless someone guides me? And this is a, a posture that is not as common as it should be. Uh, a lot of times we have deluded ourselves into thinking that the way that we read Scripture is the way that Scripture ought to be read. Uh, that basically with our own unaided powers, we're going to be able to uh, come to a, a good faithful understanding of what God intends. And the difficulty with that is that all of us have lenses through which we read things. We may not be aware of them, but especially today, we all have 21st century American perspectives that we are going to be imposing upon the text. And so anyone who is told everybody else, look, I can just understand on my own, I don't need guidance, uh, they're going to go in their own direction, and it's not going to end well for them. I mean, this is why Jeremiah said, it is not within man to direct his own steps. In Jeremiah 10, 23, that the way it seems right to a man leads to death in Proverbs 8. And that's certainly the way it also goes with Bible interpretation. Uh, the text has been read and interpreted for thousands of years. And, and this is suggest, not suggesting that any given interpreter is completely right all the time. Uh, this is not to suggest that uh, we must be entirely dependent upon the views of others. Uh, on the other hand, we need to be much more humble when it comes to our own understanding and to have that teachability. How can I understand what I'm reading unless I am guided? And the humble recognition that whatever we have come to believe has come based upon instruction. And that's the way the gospel is supposed to work. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul tells Timothy that what he has heard from him and the present faithful witnesses and trust to others also they can also teach others you got three generations of teaching there where paul instructed timothy and tell timothy to instruct others and there's expectation for a fourth generation that they can instruct others in turn that that's the way this works that the scriptures need to be interpreted and understood and that we need to be taught in them and guided in them and that's not just a mystical operation of the holy spirit Again, this text could read very differently if it's just a Holy Spirit operation, right? Uh, because And the Ethiopian eunuch was in a chariot going down the road, and as he's reading in Isaiah, the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to understand that what he is reading is about Jesus. That's not the way the text works. In fact, we see the Holy Spirit uh, is going to be operating in three different moments here. Uh, so that this situation takes place. And the fact that the situation takes place is is through the work of the Spirit, absolutely. But it was all to the end of Philip preaching Jesus to the eunuch. And it required Philip being there and Philip doing it, not the Spirit. Again, we can wonder and ask, and ask Jesus one day, why, you know, not just have the Spirit do it, why have us do it? Uh, but this is the way that it works. Absolutely. And so, um, the eunuch invites Philip up, and the eunuch is reading in Acts in Isaiah chapter 53. And he reads in verse 7 and 8. 
and he's got this um, very insightful question about it. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Uh, it's a very interesting question. Uh, it's a very perceptive question. Uh, as Christians, we are so used to understanding Isaiah 53 in terms of Jesus that it can be hard for us to kind of set that aside for a minute and to wonder, okay, if we were living in the, the days just before Jesus, for instance, uh, or we're like this eunuch who understands who God is, understands what God is trying to say through Isaiah, but does not understand who Jesus is, how would you understand that? And he is thinking independently of Jewish traditions and of uh, and is very contextual there in Isaiah. Uh, because if he was somebody who had been working with the Essenes or maybe some of the sects of the Pharisees, he would want to see it as some kind of Messiah figure, perhaps, some other figure. But Isaiah, in Isaiah 49 and 50, has used the first person in chap there, that, that I have had this, I have experienced this. And so when we see these servant passages, um, there's a lot of evidence here that he's definitely reading and definitely trying to understand. And he has, it's not that he hasn't understood Isaiah. He's understood Isaiah perfectly well as he best he can based upon his current level of understanding, based upon what the prophet has revealed without the full mystery uh, being uh, understood yet, which Philip is, of course, about to help him understand. And that's what Philip does. He starts here and preaches Jesus to him. And we don't know exactly the words that Philip spoke, but we know the substance of the message. That Philip would have spoken about the suffering of Jesus for our sins, that he was the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, predicted throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we, it would be something consistent with Acts 2 or Acts 3, uh, where Peter preaches about the resurrection, about how the uh, promises that was, were made to the fathers were being fulfilled, and that they were the children of the their fathers who had received these promises. And we don't know how long it took. We don't know how much more was said. But the there go there's some water as they go by, some kind of pool there of water, maybe some kind of oasis or something. And the eunuch asks, uh, "See here is water. What prevents me from being baptized?" And so we can see from that that Philip, by necessity, has spoken about baptism as a response in faith. Otherwise, why would the eunuch think that he would need to be immersed in in water because of what he had been hearing from Philip? And uh, now, there's a kind of a, if you're reading some different versions, you might have noticed a verse was seemed to be skipped, and that's uh, verse 37. It says, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the reason for that is that in our most ancient manuscripts and best manuscript, that verse is not included. And there's reason to believe that that verse may have been an expansion uh, added into the story later on. Uh, to provide the declaration of the confession before uh, he was baptized. There's uh, no reason to doubt that the substance of what verse 37 said happened. Uh, that's not the issue at all. Uh, so if one wants to, you know, one should absolutely believe that Philip uh, indicated an affirmative and that uh, the, bit, the eunuch made some kind of confession of faith. There's certainly no a challenge or, or difficulty with that. The issue is making sure that we have the test that most faithfully represents what Luke wrote uh, back in the day, and that is why that verse has been omitted. So certainly we would have believed that those things happened. Uh, very much important to see that they went down into the water, both of them, 
and Philip baptized him. Uh, the fact they both went down the water, an indication that this was definitely immersion. Uh, it was not just uh, throwing a little bit of water on the head or sprinkling water on the head. They both got in the water, and the eunuch was certainly immersed in water there. And when they come out of the water, uh, the uh, Spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. And we're told that uh, Philip found himself then at Azotus and uh, would eventually preach the gospel up the coast until he got to Caesarea. Uh, Azotus uh, is along the coast there, um, probably not f terribly far from where, uh, the, or near the coast, uh, probably not far from where uh, they had been driving, uh, but certainly is um, not exactly where he was. And so again, the, sp the Spirit has in moved him from Samaria to here, and then has moved him from here to Azotus. And he would have then probably gone up to uh, maybe Jamnia, but definitely Joppa, uh, and eventually up to Caesarea. And we'll find him again in Caesarea in Acts chapter 21 with his four daughters uh, when Paul uh, goes through Caesarea as he's heading to Jerusalem. Uh, so Philip uh, has fruitful ministry there. And we see that the work of the Spirit is very powerful here in what he is doing. Uh, but then with the eunuch, uh, we're told that he uh, went on his way rejoicing and he saw Philip no more. And so his salvation was a source of joy for him. And it's really important to kind of remember back that hopefully when you first learned of Jesus and you first had the redemption of sin and deliverance from the force of evil, there was great joy there, great happiness, great peace that one had found. And that we should often rejoice in our salvation, not just should be something that we do when we are first converted, like at the moment at the eunuch was, but that we also uh, continually rejoice that we have salvation, that we have Lord loved in Christ, and that we have the hope of the redemption and resurrection that we have in Jesus. And First Peter one three through nine, uh, Peter wants to emphasize that joy and that hope that we have in the face of distress and trial. Sometimes that's what gets you through that distress and trial. Otherwise, it would be almost impossible uh, to do so. Um, and we can wonder what happened to the eunuch. We don't hear about him at all after this. We know nothing of him or nothing of the fruit of the work he would have done. We ostensibly believe he made it to Gaza and then sailed back down uh, to the Red Sea and down to Cush uh, and went back to work and would have glorified Jesus there, would have uh, told those that he had influence with about Jesus, uh, might well have established the first church there in Meroe, uh, that we, that would have existed, and we're not sure. Um, we he, we don't have any reason to believe he would receive the Holy Spirit in a in a miraculous measure, because earlier in Acts chapter eight, Philip did not have the ability to give it in Samaria; wouldn't have had the ability to give it to the eunuch. Uh, but he was able to be saved, and one of those great opportunities in the resurrection will be to meet the eunuch, Lord willing, and that we can talk to him and find out what he did and uh, what he experienced and the work that he accomplished. And that will be a very fascinating and interesting thing indeed. And so we see here the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, we can see the story given here of how the gospel will go from Judea to Cush. Uh, we see um, a story of a conversion, the importance of baptism as the proper response to the gospel and story 
and um, a wonderful example of faith and of a, of a faithful Bible student who, when given the right understanding of the mystery of Jesus, becomes a faithful Christian and glorifies God in that role. And we do well to, like the eunuch, understand the scriptures, to see that we need guidance in understanding those scriptures, to understand how Jesus is the Christ, how he died for our sins, he is now exalted in heaven, that we would submit to the gospel as the eunuch did in baptism and share in salvation in Jesus and the hope of the resurrection and to spend eternal life with the eunuch, with Philip, in Jesus for all time. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful for the blessings of life and for you and your love and care and provision for us, your covenant loyalty you've displayed toward us for Jesus and all that you've given us in him and his kingdom and his lordship. We are thankful for the spirit and the word. And we're thankful for one another, the material blessings you've given us on every spiritual blessing we have in Jesus. Uh, at this time, we pray that you would uh, heal those who are ill, you would provide comfort for those who are grieving, to provide for those who are in need, to preserve life where it is in danger. We pray your justice and righteousness would flow in our land. We're thankful for this example, Father, of the eunuch. We are thankful that he was willing to listen and to hear the preaching of Philip. We pray, Father, that we also would seek to be guided in our understanding, that we would come to better understanding your purposes and be instructed faithfully in your ways. We uh, pray, Father, that we would be perceptive readers of your scriptures and, and ask the right questions and seek to understand what you have made known in ways that glorify you. And we pray that we would also prove faithful to the gospel, to, to commit to you, uh, to be, be baptized, to serve you faithfully, and to obtain the resurrection of life. And you will look so forward to that day of resurrection in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Again, so glad that you've joined us. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts about what we can know about the eunuch and what we can gain from his example. Uh, love to, please subscribe to us where you found us. Please uh, reach out to us in the comments. You can also find us at our website at VenetureChristChrist.org. And we're also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We again thank you and may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.